The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. John, chapter 16, 16 to 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is that? Is this that he says to us, a little while and you will see me, and again in a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were asking, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will, will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Howard. Well, it is uh, a little surreal being in this place again. Uh, I don't know how many, how many of you worshiped here back in the day? Raise your hand. All right. It's quite a few of us. Yeah, this was our, this was our house for uh, a good while. I can't remember how many years, at least three years, I would say. And um, we've got a lot of great memories in this place. So we would rather be at the Overton Park Shell. But God just has other plans for us. I think that is the third outdoor, this is the third outdoor worship service that we had to cancel this year. Uh, unbelievable. But, uh, but here we are. We're so grateful for Central Station and grateful to be in this place. And I'm grateful for you parents. I know y'all are juggling kids. Uh, and I know that uh, there's going to be a lot of distraction, but I'm glad the children are here. I'm glad you're here, and I look forward to diving into this passage. Before I do, as Artez prayed, uh, one of our dear, dear members passed away uh, this week, um, dear Betty Massey. Uh, she was a little, uh, I guess, tight-haired fro, uh, gray-headed lady that uh, always had a smile on her face and always worshiping passionately. Um, I don't have any details about a funeral or memorial service, uh, but I will say that Betty um, is, is Memphis. She actually grew up on Bill Street, and she told me the day that uh, Dr. King died that she was on a city bus, or not on a school bus, and they were shooting, uh, the National Guard police were shooting tear gas through windows, and she talked to me about the fear of that. Uh, she actually knew Ernestine and Hazel, uh, of Ernestine and Hazel. I didn't ask her how, because uh, that was a brothel uh, back in the day, but... Uh, 
She was a dear woman, and um, we're going to miss her dearly. But we know that she's in glory, and we know that her suffering is over, and that we will see her again one day because of the hope and the reality that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, let's look now at this passage, uh, John 16, and we're, we're talking about joy this morning. And so before we do that, let me pray for us and just ask God to meet us right here, uh, because I, I, I know if you're like me, I need some joy this morning. So uh, let's see where we can find it. Lord God, we do thank you that you are the king of glory. We thank you that you are the essence of joy, that there would be no joy without you, <laughs> that there would be no substantive blessedness that we can experience in this life that overcomes and even swallows up the suffering and the pain that we experience in this life, Lord, even the pain of losing one like Betty Massey. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet each of us where we are, that your Spirit would speak to us, that you would change us, O oh God, that we might think differently walking out of this room than we did walking in. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, do a mighty work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I was filling out a questionnaire recently, and I was asked a question that I have never been asked before. Uh, I was asked if, if your friends, if some of your friends were in a room and they were talking about you, what would they be saying? And I am still stumped by that question. That's a really good question on a questionnaire to, to get to know somebody, uh, but I literally have no clue. Um, and yet, as I was studying this passage this week, I was wondering if, if maybe anybody, any of my friends, any of you would say, Richard is a man that possesses joy. And, and then I thought, well, I wonder if we turn this around. What if God was filling out that questionnaire? What do, if your friends were in a room, God, and they were talking about you, what would they say about you? Are they talking about, are they overwhelmed at the reality that you are the essence of joy? Do they see that you are really the life of the party, that you are the life of any relationship, that you are the life of any work, that you're the life of any school, you're the life of any conversation? Is that really how your people, your church, your friends see you, God? This is an important, important theme. This whole theme of joy is all throughout the Scriptures, and yet I think if there is a neglected teaching in the church today, it is this teaching of God being the essence of our joy. And not only that, us having the ability and really the responsibility to possess joy. Jesus has already told them in John 15, 10 through 11, that the very reason he is there doing the works that he's doing is for this reason, John 15, 10 through 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be full. Friends, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit. We think of love, and love gets a lot of attention, but the second fruit, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart and my heart, th then I should live a life of joy, and people should know us as people of joy. 
In Galatians, Paul is arguing for the, the truth of the gospel because the Galatians have, have, um, ha, have really changed out the gospel of grace to a gospel of works. And here's the diagnostic question that Paul asked the Galatians in Galatians 4.15. He said, what has happened to all your joy? And we think, okay, there, there are a whole lot of moral uh, benchmarks that he could have pointed to, but that, he doesn't talk about anything like that. He points to the absence of the joy of the people of the church in Galatia as the sign that they aren't walking by faith in the truth of the gospel. That's how important it is. You see, God possesses joy. It is an attribute of God, and therefore it must be an attribute of God's people. It must be being produced in us if we claim to be God's people. And so here's the main idea this morning, namely that joy is rooted in God. It's not dependent on our circumstances, and it's an inevitable fruit of living by faith in the Christian gospel. It is rooted in God, not dependent on our circumstances, and and inevitable if we are walking by faith in the Christian gospel. And this is so relevant. It was relevant to the disciples. They are in a place where they are troubled by his words. Jesus keeps telling them over and over again, I'm leaving. And and they are starting to believe him, and they are worried, and they are full of anxiety. And in verse 2 of this chapter, chapter 16, Jesus gives them this happy thought. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. Now go be joyful. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are out of their minds with fear. He tells them in this passage, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But he also says, But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is getting at something that we need to hear today, namely that we can have joy that's not dependent on how our day is going. We can have joy that is not dependent on what we're accomplishing or not accomplishing. It doesn't depend upon how our friends are treating us or not treating us. It doesn't depend upon if I have a house or don't have a house, if I have the new house and I, or I'm stuck in my old house. It doesn't depend upon am I married or not married, am I well physically or not well physically. It is dependent on one thing, and that is God himself and the hope of his gospel. So let's, let's look at it. First of all, Christian joy does not ignore the joy, I mean, excuse me, the grief, pain, and sorrow. The Christian gospel of, of joy does not ignore our grief, our pain, our sorrow, and we need to hear that. I was at a three-year-old soccer game last Saturday, a week ago Saturday. If you've ever been to a three-year-old soccer game, you know that there's very little soccer going on. Uh, it's just a group of three-year-olds running around. They literally have no clue what they're doing on that field. They don't know where to kick the ball. They're kicking it. Everybody's yelling, no, the other way, the other way. They don't. I mean, they see the ball, their leg is moving. I mean, they're kicking it. And there was this one little girl, this three-year-old girl, and she was bawling. 
She was crying so hard, and I kept hearing her mother from the sidelines saying, get it together. And I was thinking, what are you talking about? And finally, she marched, the mother marched, I assume it's the mother, marched out on the field, and I saw the little girl like physically get nervous. And the mother grabbed her arm, and she said, you stop that crying now and let go and walked away. Do you think it worked? No. And friends, that was really the parenting of the boomer generation. It was the John Wayne, boys don't cry. It is wrong to feel emotion. It is wrong to express emotion. It it is wrong to let people know how you're really doing. So just lie, I'm okay. And you're okay, right? I don't want to hear your problems. And friends, it was damaging. It, it, it did so much damage to us as individuals because we weren't made just to stuff our emotions. And, and look, it's here in this passage in, chapter, in verse 20 of chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, you will weep, lament, and be sorrowful. And he wasn't saying that to shame them. What he was saying was, he was stating the facts. I am going to die. You're about to see me taken and crucified, and this is the proper reaction. This is how one should respond, weeping, lamenting, and feeling sorrow. I don't know if you've ever seen a Middle Eastern funeral procession, but they are holding the casket up in the street, and there are mobs of people, and everybody, they are weeping and wailing and lamenting and expressing their sorrow outwardly. But why is that? Because they are processing with their body what they are feeling on the inside, and that is how God has made us to heal emotionally in the face of a world that is violent and full of death and everything that we should not experience. And if, if, if this is what Jesus is getting to, but he's really building on the rest of Scripture. There's a whole book called Lamentations that teaches us as God's people how we are to respond to tragedy and trauma and woundedness in this world. I could read practically the whole book, but here are two verses out of chapter 1. Jeremiah is lamenting the, um, and being sorrowful and even weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem and even the, the destruction of his army. And listen to what he said. Verses 15 through 16 in chapter 1, Lamentations. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. Do you hear what he's doing? He is blaming God publicly. He summoned, God summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. What Jeremiah is doing is giving us a manual on how to grieve and what to do with our emotions. And and just briefly, two things, quickly. The first thing that we are to do with our emotions is we are to name what God has done to us. He, he, He describes it very clearly. The Lord rejected all my mighty men. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has 
trodden as in a wine press, the virgin daughter of Judah. He boldly and honestly declares his hurt. Have you ever done that? What's been done to you? It's not okay. Why? Because we live in a fallen world, and what's been done to us is evil. None of us in this room have come out of our lives unscathed. We have all been hurt. We have all been abandoned in some way. We have all experienced trauma. And I would dare to say that most of us have yet to really deal with the trauma that we have experienced. You say, Richard, this sounds like you're bringing modern-day psychology into the sermon. No, I'm bringing Bible into modern-day psychology. I'm saying the Scriptures own being healed from our woundedness and our trauma, not modern psychology. And, 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 and the second thing that we're to do, after we name it, we are to do story work. We are to think back, and we are, I would encourage you to journal your story. What are the things that, that hurt? Why did you hate that school when you were in third grade? Why did you hate soccer when you were three years old? I could ask that little girl that in about 10 years. Do that work. Name it. Not that you might hate your mother. No, because that is an, an injustice done to her that one day, someday, she's going to have to let out. Secondly, not only are we to name it, but we are to allow ourselves to feel it. Jeremiah says this, For these things I stuffed and act like it didn't happen. For these things I put a smile on my face because that's what God would have me do. For these things I, I hid in the corner and just kind of learned to cope. No, for these things I, I weep. My eyes flow with tears. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed because this is wrong. This is an injustice. And my body wasn't made to experience this. My soul wasn't made to experience this. My emotions weren't made to experience this, so I better let it out or one day, someday, it's going to come out in some other form. Ronald Richardson, a marriage and family therapist, writes this. He says, time and distance do not fool an emotional system. Wow. Time and distance don't fool an emotional system. Emotional wounds just don't magically go away. And friends, hear me. Even Jesus doesn't magically cure the wounds and trauma of our story. You say, Richard, whoa now. You're, you're, you're walking on a line. Maybe so, but listen. Jesus builds a safe house for us to deal with our wounds and our emotions. And this is how he does it. He lived a perfect life. So experiencing trauma even perfectly, experiencing death, an unjust death, a ridiculous trial, trumped up charges because those in power wanted him dead. He experienced that perfectly, and yet he did it. Why? So that we could stand before God and say yes to your performance and no to my performance. You have obeyed the law for me, so you are not waiting to approve of me. If I receive Jesus, if I believe, if I trust his performance in place of my performance, the Father sees me as righteous because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then he became my sin, and he was punished. And, and the wrath of the Father, the just wrath of the Father, of the evil of this world, 
And the evil that I've committed is atoned for, paid for in the body and blood of Jesus. And then he is raised to glory, destroying the power of death, the power of sin. And through faith, I can, I can know right now that all my shame is gone. All my guilt is gone. I am accepted by the God of glory, the one who created me and created me for him. And that is the perfect safe house, the perfect cocoon, whatever you want to call it, to get in there and to open my heart and say, help me, God, look honestly at my story. Help me, God, look honestly at the things that have been done to me and the things that I've done to others so that I might let it out, I might feel it, and I might move forward. You see, if we're not doing that, then we are not experiencing the joy of the Lord because we are paralyzed right there in the moment of our, of our, of our woundedness and our trauma. I've told you before, and I didn't plan to say this because I'm tired of saying it, but I'm in counseling today because of what happened to me when I was like in third and fourth grade and really all the way through fifth grade and why? Because that damaged me. I don't like it. As a matter of fact, I would rather drive a different way than go to my counselor, <laughs> to be honest with you on most days. But I go, why? Because I got to let that stuff out so I can get healed, so I can be more effective for myself, for my wife, for my family, for you, for the world, and for God. That's, that's what we're about. So when we hear, be joyful, we are not saying discount, just forget what happened to you. No, the Bible never says that. It never says that. It always says deal with your grief, deal with your pain, deal with your sorrow. But secondly, Christian joy overwhelms. It doesn't ignore your pain. Now, this is how Christian joy works. Um, there are many women in this room that have given birth and this is, the, this is the illustration that God gives. It says, you know, your pain, what, what you experience in this world is very much like a woman giving birth. Now, I have watched three births, but I have not experienced three births, and praise God. Uh, I have never been jealous. I've heard that may be a thing. Some may, I've never been jealous. Uh, and I've been very thankful for my wife. And I'm telling you, she has had very long and very painful births. Not one of these 30-minute, hour, you know, gave birth in the car on the way to the hospital. No, we're talking like forever, 30 hours. And yet, what do you think I'm telling my wife, and what do you think she's thinking? She probably doesn't even need me. She's thinking, I know it's worth it. Sorry, Adriana, I know you're, <laughs> all the pregnant women in here are like, oh, Lord, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, hey, blame Jesus, not me. Uh, it's his illustration, not mine. But this is why he's giving it. Because everyone knows, every woman knows, the, the, the reward is worth the pain. And that is what Jesus wants us to see. He's teaching us that Christian joy doesn't protect us from the pains and the wounds and the mess but it does overwhelm it. It swallows it up. I mean, there's this pain and pain and pain and pain and pain. The baby is born, and there's this euphoria of celebration. 
And the pain ain't over for the woman. And, and Jesus is saying, this is how, this is what life looks like. It's hard. It's messy. It's painful. But, oh, there's joy in Christ. You see, God doesn't abandon us to our circumstances. He gives us hope that can swallow those circumstances or the pain of it. So two things are true that we can learn from childbirth. It hurts, but the joy swallows the pain. And it's mandatory that we understand this caveat. Why? Because, friends, none of us in this room are protected from the veil of evil being pulled back. There are seasons, there are moments that we encounter evil unspeakable. The video of George Floyd being murdered with a knee on his neck is traumatic. It inflicted trauma, especially on my black brothers and sisters. Why? Because the veil was pulled back for the whole world to see that evil is present and central in this world. A few weeks ago, evil was, the veil of evil was pulled back when Liza Fletcher was abducted and violently murdered. And, and we all just, we, we can't even comprehend it. We watch the news, and what has it been? Oh, the danger of a nuclear holocaust. Oh, okay. What's for dinner? I mean, how do you go on? The, the stock market is plunging at 23. We've lost 23% of those thinking about retirement. I may be the only one in the room. I don't know. I mean, there's so much in this world. The death of babies, infertility, violence, poverty, the war in Ukraine, Russia bombing a, an apartment building, Russia bombing a, a hospital with women giving birth, maternity ward. The disciples in just a few hours will see Jesus. I mean, this, this context of this is this just a few hours before Jesus is arrested and he's talking about joy. He is anchoring them in Christian joy. So they're about to experience pain. And they're about to watch Jesus die. But they're also about to watch him rise. You see, the world is more broken, but God's hope is more better than we can possibly imagine. So don't let the brokenness overwhelm the hope but let the hope overwhelm the brokenness. Don't let the brokenness overwhelm the hope, but let the hope overwhelm the brokenness. How do we do that? Lastly, third point, Christian joy is rooted in seeing and experiencing Jesus. The disciples' anxiety and worry was rooted in the fear of not having Jesus with them. I mean, that was their fear. He's the one that called them from whatever they were doing, and they followed him. They've been following him for three years. They don't know how to do the Christian life without Jesus, and it's good they learned that one thing because you can't do the Christian life without Jesus. But he will take you down roads that feel as if he's abandoning you, but in fact, 
He's got you. Listen to what, how he's been preparing them. Chapter 14, verse 19 of the Gospel of John. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. Verse 7 of this chapter, <clears throat> 16. Chapter 16, 7. <clears throat> it is to your advantage that I go away. What? It's to your advantage that what's about to happen is going to happen. There is no way on the planet the disciples could remotely understand that. The only way to get through that is by faith. It's not by sight. It's to your advantage that I go away, for I do not, um, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in verse 22 of our passage, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will be able to take your joy from you. He says, hey, you're going you're gonna to be, it's going to be rocky there for a bit, but you just hold on because you're going to possess a joy that no one can take away, and, his, and, and the, the, the foundation of that joy is the very Spirit of Christ. Jesus promises not only that they would see him again, but they would possess him in a more real and substantive manner by the Spirit. And here's the, the reality. The Spirit is not just a decent substitute. He is a greater reality of the presence of God for you and me. Did you hear that? We think, oh, if we were there when Jesus was with us, pre-resurrected Jesus was with us, you know, we would never act like Peter did. And like, no. <clears throat> what, what the Scriptures are teaching, what we're learning right here, is that the presence of Jesus that you and I possess right now by the Spirit of Christ is greater than what the disciples experienced. And it goes on. When Jesus comes back... When Jesus returns, who is returning? The resurrected, glorified Jesus. And when he comes back, what is he coming back to? Resurrected, glorified men and women. And so we see this progression of Jesus being with his disciples, then leaving them, but sending the Spirit at Pentecost. But one day, someday, <clears throat> Jesus is coming back, and we are going to, in our new re resurrected, glorified bodies, be able to experience Him in a reality that we were created to experience. And this is the hope that should give us joy no matter what. <clears throat> this is unrivaled good news. Friends, we think we were made for relationships on this earth, and we were to a degree. We were made for relationship. That's why it hurts so bad when we, when we betray each other, when we ignore each other, when we say unkind things about each other. It's why injustice hurts so bad because evil, another person should not be harboring evil and, and, and doling out evil on another person. That should just not be. We were created for peace and harmony among relationships. But, folks, we weren't even made for marriage. I think the church did a horrible job, in, at least in the 80s and 90s, maybe early 2000s, of holding up marriage to be like the, the relationship. 
But folks, Jesus was never married, and he was perfect. So what's the point? The point is this. We were made to be completed by Jesus. And we have him by his spirit inside of us if we are believers. If you're not a believer here this morning, this is the Christian gospel. It's not stop this, stop that. God has a ruler. He's waiting for you to do it. No, it's come to Jesus. He is the lover of your soul. He is the one you were made by and for. He's the one that knows how to love you. He knows what you need. He knows how to satisfy your desires. And every good thing this side of heaven is, is just a mere taste of the kind of satisfaction that he can give us now on into glory. Jesus is the one that will satisfy us. This has been the whole point of the Gospel of John. He gives seven I am statements, and they're not I will statements. They're I am statements. Jesus doesn't say, I will do this for you. He says, I am this to you. Listen, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, truth, and life, and I am the vine. Think about that for a minute. This is what Jesus is offering you this morning. Are you hungry? Is your soul hungry, or are you just completely satisfied here this morning? We're all hungry. Well, guess what? Jesus is the food we need. He is the strength that we need. Are you confused about your life? Do you feel like you're walking in darkness? Well, guess what? Jesus is the light. And you can walk in the countenance of his word and his teaching. And you can follow him because he's not only with you, he's in you. Jesus is also the door. Many of us are dating Jesus. Many of us come here to date Jesus, but the rest of our week we really don't pay him much attention. Jesus is the door to walk through and be with him. Not just on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. He is the door to enter into the very presence of God and experience the presence of God. He is the good shepherd. Oh, man. The good shepherd who will lead us where? To green pastures. Who will lead us where? Beside quiet waters. Who will do what for us? Restore our soul. Jesus is the resurrection and the life that you're looking for. The reason we can celebrate the life of Betty Massey is because we know it's not over. The, 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 I, can be, I can eagerly yearn knowing that I'm going to see her face to face one day. Why? Because she's with the same Jesus that I'll be with one day. Not because of me, but all because of what he's done for me. He is the resurrection and life now. Though you die, you what? You will live. And Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. He's the way. He's your map quest. He's your Google Maps on meaning and purpose and significance. Stop looking for it anywhere else. Jesus is the answer to your doubts. Jesus is there, and Jesus is the vine. What, do we, what does a branch have to do with the vine? Just simply abide. This is the hope of the Christian life, and what we need this morning is more and more and more of Jesus. Are you experiencing him to that reality? If you are, it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. That joy is, is padding and, and overcoming 
what's happening to you. It is there with you in the midst of the tears. It's there with you in the midst of the anger. It's there with you in the midst of the hurt. But it's there. And it will overcome. And it will endure on to eternity. And then lastly, these verses 23 and 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your soul, that your joy may be full. What are we to ask for? I tell you what we're to ask for. What did the disciples, what were they praying for? Lord, don't leave us. That's the prayer behind every other prayer. When I'm praying for food and I'm hungry, what I'm really praying for is something that only God can give me. When, I, when I'm praying for that relationship or I'm praying for the, that, that job, whatever I'm praying for, I'm really praying for more of Jesus because he's the only one that can satisfy me. And when I pray, if I came to you this morning and said, hey, you go to God and ask anything in the name of Richard, you would look at me like, number one, you're, it's heretical <clears throat> and you're fired. But think about that. It's weird. If you ask the Father anything in my name, says Jesus, what does that mean? It means I am basing this request solely. I'm placing it in the hands of Jesus, and I'm trusting him to do with it whatever he will. I'm trusting the outcome because I trust him that much. Jesus doesn't become your servant. You are his servant coming to him saying, in the name of Jesus, meaning let Jesus play it out, and I receive whatever I get. So, friends, are you possessing the kind of Christian joy that is being spoken of here? Let's take just a minute, and I would love uh, for us just to contemplate on that as the worship team comes up. Uh, you can see in your bulletin uh, how to give, tithe, and response to this message. Um, and there is a, uh, a box outside one of these doors that you can place your, your physical donation. But I want you to ask yourself, am I really experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus promises in this passage? I'm going to be on the side over here, and maybe if one or two elders, wives could be over here as well. If there's something that you... Uh, would like to come and receive prayer for, we'd love to meet with you um, and just pray. Don't leave this place with whatever's burdening you. We're a church family, and we're here for you. Uh, let's receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.